everybody. Welcome back to another delicious episode of Cosmic Soup. Today's guest, Sean Bowling, is a magnetic spirit. He's quite literally the Pied Piper of chefs, drawing people in with his over-the-top personality and high-energy operating style. And Sean makes his living helping communities to rethink their outdated, old-school culinary programs and to turn things around to create modern, high-end, sustainable dining experiences. Today, we're going to dig into what it is he really does. Look under the refrigerator, behind the stove, and in the corners of the dish pit for those tasty nuggets of culinary service wisdom that you can start using today to make your community that much better. So, Sean, welcome back to the show, man. It's been so long since I've talked to you. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to be here. We're gonna we're gonna rock and roll it. Awesome. And uh, let's let's get going. Cool. So, you and I are culinary coaches. Explain to everybody what exactly that is. Well, you know, um, technically, I guess we're consultants, but uh, over the years, consultants come in, they throw they throw you some data, and then they walk away. Coaching, what we do is we're in it for the, the long haul. We have skin in the game. And so we come in and, you know, me being a, a huge football fan, you know, a coach doesn't come, uh, you know, Pete Carroll, our coach of the Seahawks, he doesn't show up on the first day and say, hey, guess what? You got to get this football across that line over there more than the other team does. You do that. We're going to the Super Bowl. Peace out. See you in, you know, five months. Uh, th- that's more of a, a consultant. You got to do this and this and this to get that. No, we're a coach. We're going to actually show the cooks how to saute. We're going to actually show people how to use the equipment that's in the kitchen. And, you know, it's one-on-one and we're there. We're not just in and out. We're, we're there for a certain amount of time. Folks can talk to us 24-7, depending on what program you set up. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's you, you, got a, you got a buddy in the kitchen. Right. Yeah. I, I like that analogy. I love the football analogy. And the reality is, yeah, it, it's really cool to be able to go into a place and not just point a finger and say, you're doing that wrong. It's really like, here, let me let me show you how this works. So so your path to become uh, where you are now was kind of a long one. And I know that we got a little bit of an origin story from you in the very first episode, but let's just kind of recap that. What was your professional path to be here? When did you decide that, you know, catering and restaurant work wasn't satisfying enough? And, uh, why did you want to get into senior living? Oh, excellent question. Um, well, being in this business since I was 13 years old and working every position, um, you know, I thought as, as I got older, went to chef school, uh, I want, I was one of those, I, I want to be a high end chef and learn, do all the fancy stuff. And, you know, I just got bored with it. it. It's not what, what, what people really bond, you know, people really don't bond with $5,000 beluga caviar that most people bond with, you know, a bacon cheeseburger or some fries or some really good cheese and a nice glass of wine. And so, um, after a while, I just said, I, I, I want to do something different, but I really don't know what. And I had a buddy uh, who was in a uh, CCRC here in Seattle. And uh, he said, hey, they're looking for a chef. Why don't you swing by and I'll, I'll give you a tour. And my first the thought was like, nah, I, you know, I don't, that's not for me. But I went ahead and did it and just went, wow. When I walked in the door, these kitchens are like hotels because I've had a lot of hotel background. Yeah. Um, and it was from what I saw, it, it was, I was a little confused because I went, well, these, these folks got a budget that are bigger than a private hotel does. And they they got the crew and the same equipment. 
I was baffled how bad the food was. It, it was horrible, overcooked, undercooked. Uh, sanitation wasn't there. And I just put a formula in as if it's a hotel. And I remember the first time I said that to an executive director, <laughs> he was like, what do you mean a, a hotel? And I go, it's just the same people every day. It's still, it's a hotel and it's a dining service uh, formula like that. So going in and, uh, you know, making it happen and, and, and the culture too, you know, like you were saying, you don't, we don't just go in and say, do this, you know, that's the wrong way. It's the right way. It's a culture that, you know, folks need to, they're artists. That's why they call it culinary arts. Right. And, you know, it's not, it's, it's not called uh, room keeping uh, arts or maintenance <laughs> arts. <laughs> it's culinary arts. And most of us are a little weird. You and I, um, Wait our emotions are on our sleeves. Maybe so. Okay. Um, and there's passion in, in cooks that are, are they're a different breed. They really are. Front of the house, back of the house, we're just a different kind of animal. Uh, and so you have to approach it differently and not so black and white and mechanical. Yeah, always, uh, I always said that to people who, who don't understand people that come from the food service industry, I would say there's people that work in the food service industry because it's their point A to point B job. And then there are people that they live the food service industry. So oh, yeah. it's definitely yeah. two, two different breeds of people. So, mm -hmm. so you've been in a ton of communities, both as an in-house worker, as well as, as a consultant. So you go into communities all the time that have various challenges, including, you know, dining department challenges, what are some of the common issues that you see time and time again? And let's also talk about the fixes for those. Yeah, I, I would say the most um, is, well, if, if we want to go emotions and humans, um, I would say morale. There's a lot of low morale kitchens out there um, for whatever reason. Um, you know, there's a million things you can, you can say why they are. Um, but you have to look at that. Usually it's the morale that needs to get fixed. Uh, kitchen equipment. Uh, I mean, like you said, I go all over the U.S. A lot of these kitchens are run down. There's no, it's like the uh, culinary infrastructure, if you will, of America. Uh, no one's really put uh, the time and money into them uh, until something breaks, which is super costly. Um, so there's a lot of uh, old menus floating out there as well. Uh, when I go into a community, it is not uncommon at all to have somebody say they've had these same menus for 20 years, 30 years. Uh, like the exact cooking. same menus? Yeah. I mean, it's just a repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, you know, because they, they are going, they are having different residents every few years. Uh, it's just the nature of the, of the beast. Got it. It works. Um, but yeah, it's so you, you add all those, that, that combination up of bad equipment. Uh, old menus. Um, there's not a real good uh, culture going on in the kitchen that's healthy. And uh, yeah, and that's what's exciting about my job is to go in and it's all fixable. It, it's all formulas. And it, it it's really not that hard. It's just, do you want to do it? Yeah. As, as the C-level, as we say, are, are you really serious about wanting to, to offer seniors, you know, a decent, good, hot meal that's flavorful, palatable, visually stimulating. Um, and it, that that's the hurdle is that do you want to actually do it? Right. So the step one to fix that is to have whoever is in charge of the culinary program really say, we need to step this up. 
Or mm-hmm. maybe maybe if they're doing something that's that's really good, you know, you have a, mm-hmm. you, you walk into a place and that and their dining services are nailed down. What are you doing to get your your next level people trained up? You know, how is the leadership things like mm-hmm. that? You know, oh, that is you you just you just hit the the potato with a potato peeler. Um, <laughs> that's what I do. This, this here here's the scoop. Um, when you look at especially when the communities are mid size to large size, you've got um, folks at the top that really shouldn't know the ins and outs intricately of culinary. They're running a massive community, the presidents, the CFOs, CEOs. Uh, so they're relying on the folks under them, the, um, you know, the general managers, of, if they have that position. But mostly it's a culinary director position. And if they don't have a culinary, then the chef. And it's one of those, if, you, if you're not really sure if you if your community has good uh, a really good streamlined culinary department, grab a cup of coffee and walk through it. Yeah, you know, as a, as a seal, walk through the kitchen, see see if there's food left out, see if there's food being wasted. Pretend it's your own kitchen at home. You know, if you walk by and your kids got uh, you know turkey sitting out in the counter, and you notice that they're at nine in the morning and it's now two in the afternoon. And you start to root a little bit more and people are standing around. They've got their cell phones. And and uh, I would even go so far as just pop in on people in the kitchens to see what's going on. Man, it's not going to take long yeah. to figure out. And then you have that conversation with your culinary directors. Uh, sometimes that's the problem. Yeah. And that gets that's, – that's why I say you have to really be – dedicated to to change your program because it takes work sure uh it's not impossible and it's not rocket science dear lord no it takes dedication so you you know there are communities i've literally gone into and and said you know the problem is the culinary director or the chef and i don't care if they've been there 20 years or 10 days that's the issue and we have to talk about that and sometimes you got to make a hard decision of, you know, is that the right person for the right position? Sure. Yeah. There's always tons of tough calls to make in the mm-hmm. sense, in the sense of identifying, uh, the problems. And, and, you know, one of the things that you do is you go in and you do operational evaluations. And, and part of, part of that is analyzing the staff, but then also part of that is analyzing, you know, how current is the food program? You and I have talked about this many times where sometimes these mm-hmm. menus are, reminiscent of like the fifties and sixties, like super Mm -hmm. basic cafeteria style food. Mm -hmm. And as you pointed out, a lot of these places have really, really, when they were designed, very innovative equipment for the time, Mm -hmm. large spaces, huge prep areas, big, big areas that they can do production in. Um, But then some of that equipment has kind of, uh, you know, the layout is not necessarily friendly you know, for mm-hmm. production. So what are some of the common issues that you see in terms of, you know, a, how the kitchens are laid out and how the equipment is working and even like the decor of some of these places? Mm-hmm. You know, it's my, I've been in, you know, a, a ton of kitchens, uh, from, uh, you know, catering departments, restaurants, uh, high end bars. And there's a, a pretty large portion of kitchen layouts that do not make sense. I mean, if I didn't want to be a culinary coach, I would have a full-time career just designing kitchens that have already been designed and just like, what the heck were they doing? What were they thinking? Um, But as a chef looking at a kitchen the way it should be designed, uh, it's the flow and the flow of production. And that can be everything 
um, that also affects the morale because if you've got a cook that's on the saute line and uh, there's no refrigeration there, he's got to walk, you know, 80 feet to go get the frozen fries or the fresh fish in the walk-in. You know, what's that about? Why, why isn't there refrigeration underneath the hotline so that the cooks aren't leaving the hotline? That sounds pretty basic, but that's a very big problem out there. Just that one little incident. Yeah, and sometimes kitchens are so big that if you only have one or two people working because, you know, labor is a thing mm-hmm. for a lot of these places, all of a sudden now these people are having to, you know, go back and forth on very large mm-hmm. lines and that just affects how long it takes to get the food put out even. Exactly. I'll, I'll even go so far as to say if you have a kitchen that's uh, properly uh, put together and it's tight, you, let's just say for your menu, it would take, you know, uh, three cooks to pull it off. Now you got that same kitchen, but it's just designed horribly and things aren't put where they need to be. You literally would need maybe another two full-time people. Right. I mean, it's that it's it's that sensitive. Yeah, it's that critical. And I, I think um, it's situations like that where where people that don't understand how, how to how that that comes into play, then they start cutting corners and altering their menu to kind of fit their layout. When really, if they fix their layout, then it solves a lot of the problems. It helps to solve labor problems because you can run it more efficiently. Mm-hmm. It also, if your menu food is, waste, yeah, food waste, and if your menu is engineered to take into account kind of how your layout is going to be as well, you can really you can fine tune that to the point where it, it's a uh, you know not not as bad of a problem. I mean, you and I were just in a community not too long ago where the layout was really very counterproductive and mm-hmm. while they wouldn't um go the route of doing a full new install we got that kitchen i should say you got that kitchen no, pretty, pretty much reorganized to the point where at least it was productive like right you yeah could actually, i mean we didn't even buy any equipment no to think of it with yeah. that that was just and the cooks it was so weird you know, we had uh we had a cook that had only been in the business like maybe a year and I said, so what do you think of the, the, the kitchen layout here? And, I mean, didn't even skip a beat. It's like, what a mess. I mean, <laughs> there were some other choice words. This word cucks. Uh, right. And I said, so, so you think it could be designed a little easier for, for the saute and the, the, the pantry? And they're like, yeah, hello. And so I had that person help me. Well, it took us, I don't know, a couple of four-hour days. Right. And they were on cloud nine, man. Yeah. And we, it's just, you know, working in, in, in the, the proper uh, manner. Yeah. And, and when, you, when you get that kind of squared away and, and people realize, oh, my gosh, this, this could have been so much easier so much longer ago, mm-hmm. then we get back to that morale issue where well, people are really like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I can actually do my job now. Well, that one. Well, actually, this is the same kitchen that you were in that we did together. the The line was was set up so awkwardly that your back yeah. was I don't know eight inches from the broiler and the oven. Yeah, and I was up there one one meal period just helping out, and within five minutes, I had to go change my chef coat. I was it was so hot. And yeah, it's like so all we did was push the line out, you know, a foot and a half, and it's like. Oh my God, I can breathe. I don't have to drink 10 gallons of water during that. And people quit their jobs over that. I mean, it's just, you know, you push somebody like that and you make them work in a, in a, in a, in a frustratingly flowing kitchen. You're not going to keep good people. They're going to be like, peace out. Sure. And yeah, we're talking about, you know, morale and and productivity and just the, the proper layout. Even let's just say that you go in and you have to recommend to somebody, Hey, 
all of your equipment's broken or or which in some cases some of it just was broken so like that that steam, oh, yeah. that steamer for instance that you know they they kept spending three thousand bucks a shot to fix it when they could have and, and a new one's <laughs> six grand or whatever it was but yeah. but yeah i mean Dang. so how do you approach that with with uh with say like an administrator or an ed to say hey listen you know you're gonna need to have some repairs it's gonna cost you some money but you're going to be able to spend less labor dollars. We're going to get you a, say, a dish machine that that operates, you know, by today's standards with chemical dispersion, so that you're not spending hundreds of dollars a week just on chemicals. You know, mm-hmm. how do you go about having that conversation to to get them to understand that sometimes these fixes actually cost them less than keeping them going as is? Oh well, I always say when I go into a community, the CFOs become my my BFF. They love us, right? Because with that. Um, um, let me answer the, the, the question with first, you know, how do we approach this? When, uh, when we go in and do an evaluation of the kitchen, which is 150 different areas, literally, um, we go through all the equipment and we, we, we test it and we see how it's working, um, how much life it might have on it. And that gets put into the proposal or the, excuse me, the, uh, the presentation um, of our evaluation of what we found and then what it would take to fix it. And that gets right back to, you know, are you dedicated? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it, there, it's not, you know, a 10 page formula on moving a stove out that's old and putting a new one in. See what I mean? I mean, yeah. this is, it's, it's all about how serious are you and um, are you willing to find the funds when you need them? Now, real quick, I had a, a client, that's uh, at the end of my presentation, like, okay, we got to do it. Our equipment's horrible. We get it. You know, most of the equipment was 25 years old. Um, and one gentleman said, well, we just don't have the money. We'll have to wait an- another year. And the CFO said, you know, we have slotted a carport way in the back of the parking lot that really it's not covering any residence cars. It was just slated to be done. And that was a half a million we were going to do this year. And I, I jokingly said, well, there's your money right there. Just, you know, don't have a carport till next year. And it was super quiet for about 15 seconds. And I hear a, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it was like, just move the finances over. I mean, yeah. and so they actually, we pulled the trigger about, you know, three, four weeks later. Um, but that, but the, as far as the money saving, this is where the CFOs just, and, and I always say, my my uh, involvement with the community, it pays for itself. It really does. And and probably a whole bunch more. Because, for instance, let's go back to that dishwasher. Um, true, true story. This is crazy. So we get in there. I do my eval. And they go, I go, yeah, that dishwasher is pretty old. And they said, yeah, it's over 30 years old. And, and uh, I said, well, it probably should be replaced. And, and they go, yeah, well, the last year we – spent 30 some odd thousand dollars to fix it. And we keep having to fix it every few years. And, um, I, I said, well, a new one is, I think it was 42,000 for a brand new one. Now with this new machine, it has all of the sensors, computer chips. Uh, and, and actually those have really exploded the technology and equipment on probably the past six or seven years, literally, uh, they can conserve energy. They've got heat plates in, in the doors to know when to turn the, the, the heat on, the hot water. Amazing. Long story short, we did a little, um, 
uh, evaluation of the old one before we ripped it out of how much water it was using electricity to the new one. And they were saving probably around $2,000 a month in water and electricity alone on one piece of equipment. Not counting the chemical savings. Not at all. The chemicals were probably another six or $700 a month yeah. savings on that because it, it doesn't need as much chemicals. It does, it's When you jump into the 21st century equipment, um, it's, it's a whole nother ball game, a whole nother yeah. set of rule. It's, it's really cool. And so you can save, you know, if you've got a, a normal size kitchen's got 15 pieces of equipment that's, that has computer chips in it and heat sensors and all that good stuff. Um, you can, you can literally can save thousands and thousands of dollars a month just in utilities. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't take long for CFOs to go. Oh, heck yeah, we're doing that. You know, your payoff is real, real quick. You know, and you mentioned uh, bringing things into the 21st century. And I think that we're in agreement that there's definitely room for opportunity, especially in this industry, on all levels to bring things into the 21st century. Why do you think that this industry has a reputation for not staying as current as, say, their restaurant equivalents? What's the holdup? Why can't we get up to speed oh, in a lot yeah. of cases. Why, you know, why can't we be where restaurants are? Why do, why do we have restaurant style dining? Why aren't we restaurants? Why don't we have more restaurants as opposed to kind of the cafeteria mentality that, that some of us have faced? Because no one complained. And I, you know, I hate to say it, but it, it was, it's an old, old business model and palettes are changing. Humans are changing. Uh, what your grandfather ate up until he died is different than, uh, say, you know, my, I'm a grandfather. My 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 kids' kids, you know, I'm eating completely different than they will. And so, and on top of that, they're paying a lot more now. I mean, folks are going in and spending a lot of money um, to have food. We're living longer, and so you're not having 80 and 90 year olds coming into the community. Marketing is bringing in 65 year olds, 68 year olds, 70 year olds. We are very very young older group of people in 2020 versus, you know, the thirties and forties and fifties and the mentality people are speaking up and they they're enough is enough and they don't want grossed out canned potatoes and frozen vegetables and, and tilapia, what did I call the fish tilapia? It's disgusting. <laughs> um, Keep and it positive, Sean. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> I, and so these folks, when they go out to eat other than the community, they're going to nice places. They're, they're going to upper scale restaurants and pretty much it's people are just, they're, they're not putting up with it. Um, they're not tolerating. It. And so they're demanding and it literally is a movement is, you know, I go from Seattle to Connecticut to all over Miami. Um, and it's the same people like enough is enough. We want our hot food, hot or cold food, cold. We want some fresh vegetables, want fresh fish. And, and just uh, the flavor profile too. You know, our menus are going to be different from one state to the next. Heck, my menus are different. And you know this from communities we worked on. Uh, uh, just a few miles away, the two communities have a different flavor profile and you have to kind of dial it in for them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's – and for marketing too, it's a great – whenever I go in and, and we redo the menus and the equipment, oh my gosh, marketing folks love that because that gives them something – to beat the competition up with, quite frankly, yeah. because not everybody's doing this, you know, and if you've got seven or eight communities within five mile radius of you and they all have, 
outdated menus and outdated food and all that, and they're not keeping their food in-house, and you come along and you say, hey, we're doing something completely different than everybody else. Oh, you're gonna fit. You're, you're gonna fill those rooms so quick. You're gonna have a waiting list. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's that's exactly you know where you want to be. And so mm-hmm. I think the challenge is, as you said, you know, before people weren't complaining, and so it just kind of went on, and it became one of those situations of, well, we've always done it this way. Which, as you know, I complain about oh, that all Lord. the time. That's like my least favorite phrase in the entire universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just uh, just sets sets me in the red every time I hear that. But. Um, so now I, I think that it comes down to the leadership saying we can implement these changes. And then it comes down to, again, getting the right people in charge and putting the right systems in place, which brings me to another uh, topic that you and I have talked about so many times, which is where have all the cooks gone? Where have all the chefs ah, gone? Where, right? where are the, you know, right. why can't, why can't we get these people in this industry? And then if we do get them, why can't we keep them? I mean, workforce, mm-hmm. we, we can talk workforce till we're blue in the face and our heads explode. And maybe, uh, you know, over the, the course of the show down the road, then we will. But in general, I think it comes down to if you don't have the right people in place, how do you get those people? You know, you have to mm-hmm. identify that you need them. You have to get them. And then once you get them, you have to keep them. So what do we yeah. have to what do we have to do to make that happen? Well, there's, you know, there's not one thing that's causing this problem uh, with the shortage of cooks to get back to what you first commented on. Uh, where have all the cooks gone? My gosh, that's a T-shirt we should make. Yeah, you know right. I mean? um, <laughs> have on the T-shirt, where have all the cooks gone? And then on the back, you got, uh, you know, the, the the cooks, the would-be cooks uh, playing uh, Nintendo. <laughs> I don't know where they're going, you know. <laughs> but here's the scoop. So what's going on is that um, – we are, you know, more and more people are retiring. Everybody knows 10,000 people a day retire. And we're growing as a world, you know. We're not getting smaller. The world's getting bigger. America is getting bigger. You know, all these small towns are getting more and more eateries in there, if you will. And there was a, a statistic out of a couple of years ago uh, from a Chicago uh, food critic that said that 25 years ago, we or we are pumping out of our chef schools in America the same amount of cooks as we were 25 years ago. Now you look at 25 years ago in your small town, your city, how many new restaurants popped up in 25 years? And I'm not talking restaurants. I'm talking restaurants in a Microsoft building. They got to eat. There's an eatery, you know, right. eatery, the ho- hospitals, the whole thing. There's probably two or three or four times more. So where the where where do you find the cooks that aren't going to fill those positions? The other factor is that as humans, we're evolving and the young folks, I mean, everybody knows that getting into this business is hard. It's not easy. Um, and there's some things we can do to, ch- to change that. Um, but the, there is the, you know, that new kind of younger human that's like, you know, I don't want to be in a kitchen eight, nine, 10 hours a day where it's noisy and loud and maybe hot. And you get beat up too. You know that three times a day we're judged. Yeah. You know, I always, I always say if uh, somebody, if a housekeeper makes a bed wrong, the only person that knows it's Betty, right? <laughs> a soup, a, a cook makes a, a soup wrong. You know, everybody knows it. <laughs> everybody in that building is going to beat that cook up. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a lot more stress and pressure on our field and a lot, and you know, and the new, the newer humans on earth, they're like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not doing it. You and I are old enough to know, you know, even 15 years ago, I'd put ad on Craigslist for a cook 
I get 30, 40, 50 people. I put one now, I'll get two yeah. and no one will, and no one will show up. And it, it, my experience tells me that right now it's not just a pay thing, right? It's not, Oh no. The, no. the, the pay scale no. for, for this industry is not drastically different than say the restaurant industry with the exception of servers yeah. and server, you know, we'll maybe talk about another it episode low. on that. It, it, it is like, and, and they're working on it. You know, I don't know what it is. But the minute you attach culinary to it, you don't yeah. get paid as much. So my, just, you know. my perception, and maybe you can chime in on this, is that I think that there is a, in addition to those challenges, though, there's always kind of this stigma that floats around. Like, oh, like you said, oh, I don't know if that's the industry for me. I don't know if I want to do it. And I think it's born out of a lack of understanding of what it actually can be. And I, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, there's a perception that, oh, we're just going to sling out cafeteria food or or there's too many restrictions. I don't want to work with all the dietary stuff or I don't want to have to mm-hmm. serve stuff that's with no salt or I don't want to have to do this. People just think that there's all these things holding them back. And the mm-hmm. reality is that that's yeah. just not always the case anymore. I, I think Well, that, it's a small part, too. Yeah, it's. It's not, I mean, for instance, let's just take a, a typical community of a couple hundred folks. Maybe they've got 10 people, 15, 20 in skilled nursing. I mean, bottom line is that you're only going to have a few dozen meals a day that have to have specialty uh, uh, items to them or, or prepared textures. And there's, there is a designated person that does that. Yeah. It, not everybody, very, very, very few people are involved with those textured and therapeutic foods you're talking about. Um, so yeah, there's a huge stigma. That's why I didn't get into the field until most recently, last six, seven years. And then you realize, um, wait a second, this is not at all what hey, I thought a, it was. <laughs> it's it's really cool because you can be home. You know, you're not home at midnight. You're usually home by eight o'clock in the evening, right? seven o'clock in some places. Um, you know, it's the, the kitchens are pretty well put together. They, they you know, they, uh, it's not a bad gig. It really isn't. Yeah. Um, but we still need to work on, I think pay structure, it, it's there, but it's not as much as people think. People, you know, are, are these culinary artists, artisans want to come into a kitchen, listen to some good music. They want to bond. They're very emotional creatures. Um, they want to do good food. And if you're serving crap food, you know, I'm going to say the word crap. We, we're going to say it on this program Uh-oh. probably. Yeah, here we go. I said it. Um, you know, if you're going to serve crap food and you're a cook that's got, you know, some pride, you're just going to go now, you know, this ain't for me. I don't want to do this. You're going to lose. I've, I've literally seen that happen. Um, ask them, Hey, why are you leaving? Well, if you know, it's horrible here. I I didn't go to chef school to serve uh, potatoes out of a can or overcooked fish or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, they want to go in and and cook good food. They want to bond. They want to be respected. They want their voices heard. Um, they want to be creative. My gosh, they want to be creative. And honestly, if you just do all of those things that I just said and do it well, uh, in all of my kitchens, my my folks stayed with me for years, dishwashers for years. Yeah. I mean, you you just you you got to be kind of Captain Kangaroo, though. You know, so you got to you got to have some life in your blood. And, yeah. And get the you know, it's a culture. You've got to have an upbeat tempo and respect culture. And you have to lead by example. And to take it one step, Amen. yeah. And to take it one step further, you, you take some ideas and input from your people, you know, because like you oh said, gosh, they yeah. they want that they want that creative input. You know, your dishwasher can come up with a dinner special. You know, you're oh my, and you've heard me say this. Yeah. I've learned nothing from. I've never learned anything <laughs> from a chef. I've learned everything I know through cooks. Yeah, never yeah. chef, servers, so. dishwashers. You know, maintenance people. You name it. Everybody's oh. everybody's got an idea. And once you 
have a leader that that respects the opinions of their people, then then those people are going to be more apt to follow that leader and and you know be more comfortable yeah. in their environment. It, it's it's not new that that's not groundbreaking no. information, but it, it's just no. surprising how little it actually happens. So. Well, you got to leave the ego at the door. Yeah, and I always say you know it's a hotel term, but you know if you're looking at your kitchen, clean up the driftwood off the beach, and that means. If if they're if you have folks that are not team players, drama queens and kings, attitudes, <clears throat> um, you need to get rid of. Yep. I mean, we're just gonna we're just gonna cut right to it. Sure, you know th- those people need to go somewhere else. But it's also important to state that you know everybody deserves that chance to have the slate wiped clean and say, listen, oh, going forward, yeah. this is what we need, and I'm gonna help you get there. I really want yeah. you to be successful because if you're successful, I'm successful. You know, that whole adage that, you know, that's. I li- I'm glad you brought that up because when, when we go in, I always tell everybody they're a rock star. Yeah. And you have to prove me you're not a rock star. Yeah. And they, I'm telling you, they love that because I don't know your past. Yeah. I always tell them and I don't want to know your past. I don't get time. You know, so if you've made some mistakes, guess what? This is your free pass. Yeah, here you go. We're from here out. <laughs> this is your free. Yeah. And it, you know, there are a few people that might not hang around, but. Um, I've had more than I can even count. Other cooks come up to me to talk about their 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 colleagues saying, uh, this guy's always late. I don't know what's going on, chef, but he's he's showing up and it's like he cares. Yeah. It's like be, because he has a fresh start. You know, he's not labeled. Yeah. So these are issues that that pop up in all industries, you know, labor issues, teamwork issues, leadership issues, cleanliness issues old school equipment issues, you name it. So, so this is all stuff that we all have to deal with. And it really just kind of comes down to like, like you said, how committed are you to making a change or making improvements or working with your people? So with you all have to of, be ready, you have yeah. to be, you have to be ready. And so with all of that in mind, Sean, now it's your turn to tell us if you could create the ideal community for yourself, one that you would want to live in, in your retirement years, just to kind of chill out for the rest of your life, what's that community going to look like for you? Well, first off, uh, everybody's going to be smiling, not yep. because they have to smile. It's not a Disneyland, um, you know, uh, protocol where you know if you're caught not smiling, you get in trouble. Now, this community is going to be smiling because they genuinely are happy and they love doing what they they love to do. Um, and, you know, just the food's fresh. The food is, is current. Um, there's options. Uh, I, I would want uh, my voice heard as a resident and, and to be respected that uh, if for some reason the culinary is taking a left turn that isn't good or right turn being whatever it might be, that there would be steps taken, um, and, you know, and not just sugar-coated, but like, you know, okay, yeah, this is an issue. Um, you know, we're having some cold food issues and, you know, Sean, we're, we're really going to dig into it and see what's going on. Let me get back to you in on a few days, uh, or, or in a week, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've heard, Oh, well, you know, our next resident meeting in a month. And it's the same, same, you same know, meeting over and over and over again. Yeah. <clears throat> kick the cat. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to be in a community like that. The, the proactive. And you know what? I'll end it with, um, if people are just understood if they're just understood that, yeah, you know, that this, this is a problem. And it, it, even if it might take a little bit to fix, be honest with them and just be upfront. And but at the end of the day, if you do what's right, meaning every day you do the right thing, if there are some mistakes made, you, you're forgiven quite easily. 
Yeah. Very easily. I mean, it's like a relationship. Think about it. You know, if you're always fighting with your buddy, then everything he does is wrong, right? Sure. But if you've got a really, really good relationship and your buddy forgets to pick you up at the airport and you have to walk five miles, you'll be a little upset, but it's not, a, you know, you're you'll not, get over it. Yeah. You'll get up because you've built that relationship yeah. that you do care. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's good stuff. So what are three things that senior living providers can do starting today, no matter what program they're on, that they could make an immediate positive impact on the lives of their residents? Walk through your culinary department. Okay. Number one. Walk, walk through at mealtimes and walk through when no one's expecting you. Yeah. And, surprise visits, and, man. They're big. And just look and see what is going on. You know, literally what's going on. Okay. Um, I, I think the second one would be look at your vendors. Okay. Who, what's coming in the door. If you've got say a, a Cisco and you have no produce, company, no meat company, no fish company, um, no bread company, this local, uh, right there. I mean, you can go, well, obviously, uh, we're, we're not using the freshest ingredients because there's no way all this can come on a 28 foot or 58 foot semi. Right. Um, so that, that right there is a conversation starter with your chef, you know, let, let's get the quality of the food up and you know, you can tell right away. Cool. Uh, third one, I think, you know, if, if, if you've got the walking through, you see what's going on, you're looking at uh, your vendors. And I think the next thing would be staffing. Okay. Are you understaffed? Are you overstaffed? Um, and, and even go so far uh, with staffing when, you, when you're on that step, pull a, key, pull a few key people aside um, and don't let them know you're going to do it. And just say, hey, hey Johnny, Jill. I want to talk to you. Pull a cook aside, pull a server aside, pull the chef aside, and and just say what what needs to get. What do you think uh, could be fixed here, or what are some good things that are here? And really start to understand that staffing because you can go in and have the staffing actually perfect. You have the a right amount of people. They're just not in the right position. Yeah. So they're not getting. So they're they're constantly struggling and failing. Because they're not in the right position or they're not or they're the right person for the position. Yeah. So if, if you've got... The, or they're the, not being shown how to do their jobs. Yeah, yeah. And you'll find that out super quick. Um, so if, if, if you've got your, um, you know, your staffing taken care of, you look into the staffing, look into the, 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 the vendors and things like that, and just walk through that kitchen and see what you can see sometime and, and open doors. Yeah. Open those open oven doors, freezer doors, look in ice machines. You will be really surprised what you find. Awesome. Well, once again, Sean, you've illustrated your simply amazing level of uh, knowledge and experience that I've just been doing it forever. Yeah. Today, dude. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to obviously we're going to continue these dialogues, you know, many times over throughout the course mm -hmm. of this show. And you and I will, will talk tons of times about the different aspects of the culinary universe. So, but I want to mm -hmm. thank you for hanging out again today. Hey, by the way, nice, nice uh, cup of cosmic soup today. It was, oh, very it was a very delicious cup yeah. of cosmic soup. Yeah. Uh, I might go for a big bowl next time. So and we're going to spice it up. <laughs> and if you guys like what we're doing here, 
on Cosmic Soup. Send us a comment. Let us know what you think. Subscribe to the show. iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, you name it. We're everywhere. And if you have some questions you want us to answer, you want to pick Sean's brain, I don't recommend it. But if you decide you want to go down that rabbit hole, hit us up. Cosmic Soup at thirdthird.com. That's 3rd3rd.com. And we'll answer all your questions on one of our upcoming mailbag episodes. And of course, tell your friends. We appreciate all of you guys hanging out with us. And we'll talk to you again real soon on Cosmic Soup. <laughs>